0: I'm Tom Williams. We're going to be responding today and Monday to landmark decisions at the U.S. Supreme Court. Yesterday, the justices ruled six to three in favor of a key provision of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. And just this morning, they ruled in favor of same sex marriage, saying that is now the law of the land in all 50 states. We'll respond on Monday to the same sex marriage ruling. We'll have with us Senator Jim Debacus. We'll also have Derek Kitchen, who was the lead plaintiff in a key lawsuit here in Utah. And we'll have a BYU professor Lynn Wardle. And hopefully your comments as well. That's on Monday. Uh, Zorba Pastor on your health, normally heard in this hour, will be heard in the 11 o'clock hour. And you'll hear the second half for the second hour of performance today in the noon hour. That's the plan. So today we are talking about the Supreme Court ruling from yesterday. As you know, the Supreme Court upheld key provision of the Affordable Care Act. President Obama says the Affordable Care Act is here to stay. So we're asking, uh, what's next for health care in Utah? What does it mean for you? And we'll open the phone lines, email and Twitter. Those are all open for your comment and question. And we'll look at possible expansion of Medicaid in Utah as well, related issues. We're talking Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, and Supreme Court ruling today on the program. Let's open with this excerpt from President Obama's comments yesterday following the ruling.
1: Decades of trying, a year of bipartisan debate. We finally declared that in America, health care is not a privilege for a few, but a right for all. Over those five years, as we've worked to implement the Affordable Care Act, there have been successes and setbacks. The setbacks uh, I remember clearly. (laughs) Uh, But as the dust has settled, there can be no doubt that this law is working. It has changed and, in some cases, saved American lives. It set this country on a smarter, stronger course. And today, after more than 50 votes in Congress to repeal or weaken this law, after a presidential election based in part on preserving or repealing this law, after multiple challenges to this law before the Supreme Court, the Affordable Care Act is here
0: to stay. The Affordable Care Act is here to stay, says the president, and I think uh, it's pretty safe to say that it's at least here to stay through the end of his presidency. Uh, So what does that mean for Utah? What do you think and what does this mean for you? Those are the questions we're throwing out to you. We'd love to get your question or comment. And the number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter. Later in the program, we'll be talking with legislators who will be uh, tasked with uh, implementing, perhaps, Medicaid expansion. We still don't know what's going to happen on that. Senator Luce Escamilla will be with us, Senator Alan Christensen, and Senator Brian Shiozawa. Right now, we bring in uh, two people from uh, Utah Health Policy Project. Riley Curtis, who is UHPP's Medicaid policy analyst, joins us. Uh, Welcome back to the program.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: And we have Randall Sear as well. Understand Hello. What's your position with UHPP?
3: So my position is called Take Care Utah Director. It's a program that helps people sign up for health insurance for free.
0: Okay, great. Uh, So uh, I'm assuming I'll start with Riley Curtis. I'm assuming the UHPP position is uh, they're pleased. The Supreme Court has upheld this key provision of, uh, of the Affordable Care Act.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yesterday's ruling just showed that the Affordable Care Act is here to stay, at least like you said, through the end of the presidency. Um, and fortunately, now all the people that Randall's uh, Take Care Utah Network has been able to help enroll on health insurance through Healthcare.gov now get to keep their subsidies and keep their health insurance.
0: Now there are three uh, three key provisions. I'm reading from Scotus Blog here, a very fine uh, publication online, ScotusBlog.com. Uh, that Affordable uh, Care Act or Obamacare they had three key provisions that the uh, court has looked at various times. Uh, one of those is non-discrimination rule. Uh, the, the second is an individual mandate that was looked at in the previous case, and now this one has to do with uh, subsidies. Uh, I wonder if we could start there. I'm not sure, uh, Riley or Randall, which one wants to take this. What, uh, what was at stake here with subsidies?
3: Well, I can take it. So we help, well, we have helped thousands and thousands of people sign up for health insurance. And when people sign up for health insurance through the marketplace, through healthcare.gov here in Utah, what happens is it's supposed to mimic the way that employer-sponsored health insurance works. So when you get health insurance through your job, your employer ideally um, helps you pay for that health insurance. I don't think that most people are aware of how much the true cost of health insurance is, especially if they get it through their job, right, because they get their paycheck, they take that home, they're not paying attention to the details about the true cost of health care and how much help they're getting from their job. But healthcare.gov was designed to work the same way. So the people that we help um, are typically across the spectrum of incomes, but we help a lot of people that are kind of middle income. And so they come in a little bit hesitant sometimes to sign up, but they know that they have to sign up, and they end up getting help paying for their health insurance um, in a way that wasn't available to them before and oftentimes made getting health insurance out of reach for them just because they simply couldn't afford the full cost of health insurance. Um, so if you take that away from people now, you would go back to a point where people simply couldn't afford to have health insurance. So I know that a lot of the people that we help uh, are relieved that they can keep their health insurance and they can still
0: afford to pay for it. And I'm reading uh, here in the Salt Lake Tribune, I'd, I linked over from UHPP, uh, this is an article in Salt Lake Tribune, uh, Kristen Moulton's article, uh, this is one family that uh, stood to lose if if the Supreme Court had ruled against this provision of the Affordable Care Act. Sonia and Brian Blackham, um, they uh, it takes their cost from $450 a month down to $100 a month, which is which makes it affordable for them along with their two uh, their two children. So that's the kind of thing, I guess, is that the subsidy is necessary for some people. Yeah, exactly.
3: I, knew, I mean that story actually is one of the one of the, the less impactful stories, actually. I mean, we've literally helped people that are now getting health insurance and are in the middle of getting cancer treatment uh, that they couldn't get before. And if we were to take that away, well, guess what? They'd have to go without their treatment or figure out a different way to pay for that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people forget, I think, how much this actually impacts people in a in a profound way.
0: Yeah, this is high stakes, isn't it, for, for some people that... Uh... Uh, I, I don't know. I've heard the argument that uh, under the old system, which some people say worked just fine, you would you know, hospitals are obliged to take care of you if you go to the emergency room.
3: Sure. I mean, you, anybody can walk into an emergency room and get care, but there's two problems with that. Number one, that's not a sustainable system uh, for for efficient care. That's the most expensive way to way to take care of somebody. But the other thing that we have to remember is that you know, if, if people do that, they're oftentimes going to go bankrupt, which is the number one reason for bankruptcy in America is due to medical bills.
2: Mm. And another thing on that note, too, is just that when people show up to the emergency room, it's usually when they put off care so long that that's now where they're going for their care instead of a primary care doctor where they can catch uh, serv- uh, services that they may need, like a uh, breast cancer screening to catch the breast cancer earlier rather than when it's at stage four, and now this person has a higher likelihood of higher-costing treatment and a higher likelihood of, you know, quick and painful problems in the near future instead of catching the problems earlier.
0: I wonder if you could talk to me about the non-discrimination rule. This is one of those three key provisions. Uh, this, was, you know, this was hotly debated uh, uh, or pointed out as a problem before the Affordable Care Act, but now uh, health uh, insurance companies must sell insurance to everyone, even if, I guess, you have a prior condition. That's, that's still the case.
3: I think, you know, when we go around and present to people all around the state about what the Affordable Care Act is, we do it in a nonpartisan way where we're just explaining simply what the law is and how it affects people. And I think the one tenet of the law that pretty much everyone agrees with is that we don't want to go back to the dark ages where people can be excluded from health insurance simply because they have some sort of health condition or they had some sort of health condition in the past. I mean, if they would have repealed that non-discrimination clause, I think you literally would have seen protests and pitchforks outside of the White House and outside of the Supreme Court building. And, and you know, that's the one tenet of the law, like I say, that pretty much everybody agrees on that we needed to do away with that. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, if you if you look at polls, uh, it it seems like the Affordable Care Act is not the most popular thing out there. What do you what do you say to that? Do you think that's going to come around, or because you talk to obviously you go to UHPP uh, website, you're you're talking to a fair number of people who personally benefit from it.
3: Well, I, I think there's a couple things that go with that. I think it's so it's been so closely tied to the president right I mean people refer to it generally as Obamacare but what are they gonna start calling it once he's not the president anymore right somebody else is gonna to have to start taking ownership for that for that law um, and it won't make sense to call it Obamacare anymore and I think once the the entire legislature and the Senate and whoever the new president is they're gonna to have to take ownership for that and improve the law uh, rather than you know doing whatever they can to repeal it so uh, I think the popularity will go up after it 's implemented and after kind of it 's disassociated from President Obama so closely, but I also think you have kind of two camps you have the more conservative camp that generally just doesn 't like it, and then you have the more liberal wing of the Democratic party that doesn 't like it because it doesn 't go far enough but if you there 's other polls that also show that a majority of people don 't want to repeal the law either so it 's kind of a, a funny place but I personally don't think the approval rating for Obamacare will go up until after President Obama is out of office, ironically.
2: Mm. Well, and another thing with that as well is illness doesn't know political boundary. And so if we were asking folks as they walked in the door here, you know, are you a Democrat or Republican, and only served a certain, you know, number of those folks based on their political ideologies, you know, we wouldn't have nearly as many people signing up. And so that's important to remember, too, is that this is a program that helps all Americans regardless of their political affiliation, based on, you know, just income limits, if they need help, you know, what is your situation, can you sign up, yes or no, and that's what we help them do.
0: If you just joined us, we're talking about uh, the Supreme Court ruling from yesterday. The uh, court ruled 6-3 to in favor of a key provision, the subsidy provision of uh, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, What that means essentially is that the Affordable Care Act is with us, Like it or not, uh, and and the nation is divided, uh, at least until the end of uh, President Obama's presidency, uh, because he holds a veto power that the Congress and the Senate would have to uh, come up with a veto-proof majority. That looks unlikely with just about anything. Uh, So we're talking about what this means. What does it mean for you? Uh, What do you think about uh, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare? And uh, what do you think about Medicaid expansion? We'll talk about this uh, coming up here just very shortly. Coming up on the program, we'll be talking with Senator Brian Shiazawa, Senator Alan Christensen, and Senator Luce Escamilla. Uh, they're, of course, tasked with deciding uh, what the legislature does, especially with regard to Medicaid expansion. The number is 1-800-826-1495. Love to hear know what you think. 1-800-826-1495. Special edition of Access Utah Today. Zorba Pastor on Your Health will be coming up at 11 o'clock and the second hour of performance today at noon. Then on Monday, we'll be responding to today's Supreme Court decision on same-sex marriage. On that program on Monday, 9 a.m., we'll have with us Derek Kitchen, who's involved in a lawsuit uh, against Utah on this issue, Uh, has his name on the famous uh, lawsuit. Uh, We'll have with us Senator um, Jim DeBacchus. And uh, uh, speaking on the the side uh, against uh, gay marriage will be uh, Professor Lynn Wardle from the BYU Law School. That's coming up on Monday. Healthcare Today. We're on Twitter as well, I should mention. Uh, so let me, uh, before we turn to uh, Medicaid, which I want to uh, to talk about, and we'll be talking about that with the legislators as well, I'd like to talk about that third um, key provision, the individual mandate. And this has caused a, a bit of heartburn. People have kind of been worried about, uh, you know, if, uh, am I going to get fined if I don't sign up? Uh, what's that going to be like? Uh, now, what is it, uh, a, a few years in, um, what What's the response been like to the people you're talking to there at UHPP?
3: So uh, my job, like I mentioned earlier, I run a program called Take Care Utah, and our entire focus is to find the uninsured and to help them sign up. And I think with the mandate, you know, in year one, I think it's pretty safe to say that most of the people signing up in year one, right after healthcare.gov was open for business, were the people that desperately needed health insurance and were excited to get in. Uh, and then you had this shift in year two uh, where more people were signing up because the penalty starts to get a little stiffer and it'll get even higher in year three. So uh, I, I expect to see even more people this next go around of people signing up because they'd rather pay money and get something in return for it as opposed to just paying money.
0: What, what is the, what's the penalty gone up to now?
3: So um, year two, it's typically going to be about 2% of your income. Now, there's a cap, depending on certain situations, about family size and income, but roughly about 2% of the income.
0: So, yeah, an, and is that going to go up more? Is, is yes. It go so the
3: following yeah. year, it goes up to 2.5% of your income, um, generally speaking. It gets a little bit more complicated than that, but 2.5% of your income is about the easiest way to explain it.
0: So the individual mandate, the, the, the comparison I hear is to auto insurance. If you get everybody into the pool, then that uh, you know improves the situation, lowers premiums and such for everybody.
3: Right. Well, that's the idea. And I'll tell you a story to go along with that, because if I were to ask you and all the listeners where they think people in Utah are signing up for Obamacare, I think most people would probably assume, you know, Salt Lake City, West Valley, kind of those areas. But what we found is that from year one to year two, the highest jump in Obamacare enrollment actually happened in Utah County and in Washington County. Mm. Um, So it's starting to play out just the way I think it was expected to play out, where you know it's a lot of these families, middle-income families signing up. Uh, Utah, I mean, we have large families here to begin with, but Utah actually is signing up the most children in the nation, even if you control for the family size, uh, through Obamacare. So what that tells us is we have middle-income families signing up all across the state, and it's not the people signing up that you would... Uh, expect to be signing up.
0: And is this uh, generally, the, the people newly signing up is so generally outside of employment?
3: Generally speaking, yes. So, you know, it's it's fairly rare that we get somebody coming in here that already has insurance wanting to sign up. If if that's the case, they're typically confused about what Obamacare is, but uh, most people that come through our door are people that were either uninsured or underinsured, meaning that the the insurance that they had was just not good insurance, right? It didn't cover very much. Yeah.
0: By the way, there's an interesting graphic up on uh, the website, healthpolicyproject.org, which in, in understandable graphic terms uh, says just what you're saying, that uh, shows the places that people are signing up. I want to turn to the topic of Medicaid expansion, turn back to Riley Curtis, who's UHPP's Medicaid policy analyst. Uh, so there was some uncertainty. This was one reason given by some legislators to kick that can down the road. Now we have certainty. Um, so remind us what, uh, how many people are talking about who are in that gap.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So at the end of the 2015 legislative session that just concluded, um, we had a couple legislators uh, propose a couple of different bills that were alternatives to Medicaid expansion, alternatives to the Healthy Utah Plan that... Um, Really, none of them went anywhere, but we ended this, the session with what was called a joint resolution. So both the House and the Senate passed a resolution that created what's called the Committee of Six or the Gang of Six. And that's made up of the governor, lieutenant governor, speaker of the House, Senate president, and then the two bill sponsors for Healthy Utah and Utah Cares. And so I think when that's important to know because that's what, who's on the committee. Um, and the committee has gone back to D.C. They've talked with Secretary of Health and Human Services, Secretary Burwell, uh, they're really trying to negotiate a plan, but in that joint resolution, it did in fact say that they wanted to wait until after the Supreme Court ruling on King v. Burwell, the subsidy case we've just been talking about, What, in order to know what they wanted to do to help the 53,000 low-income working Utahns in the Medicaid coverage gap.
0: So it's 53,000, that's, uh, that's who'd be directly affected. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk to uh, some of the senators involved, Senator Shiazawa, Senator Christensen, and uh, Senator Eskamia later in the program. Um, I know the governor has been adamant in, in pushing this. What, what are the reasons he's giving?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at the history of the Medicaid expansion debate in Utah, we, it started out three years ago after the original Supreme Court ruling when the Medicaid expansion was made optional to states. And the governor wasn't on board back then. Really, it was just health advocates um, here in the community who are pushing this. And over the years, we've gained more and more support as I think the need has become more apparent. Um, so two years ago, we got the governor on board. This last year, the Senate passed the Healthy Utah Plan. So the feat has really been in getting um, enough members of the House of Representatives to support a proposal.
0: Yeah, the, the governor uh, appointed the lieutenant governor as House liaison on this. The, the, the spotlight is on the House, it seems. Uh, yeah. So uh, what, what do you think the odds are, then? It's it, there's, they, We're supposed to look at this uh, special session, perhaps, in the summer here. We're moving along in the summer. What do you think the odds are we, we see something happen?
2: I think that the odds went up yesterday when the system, because really what happened is that the key hang-ups for the House and the Committee of Six have really been cost, sustainability, and who bears the risk if our cost estimates are off. And so what you saw yesterday was the sustainability piece was, was pretty much addressed, right, because they were wondering, well, if the subsidies go away, then Obamacare is going to just fall apart. But what happened yesterday really was a great thing in terms of understanding that the ACA is here to stay and the funding mechanisms of which we are being taxed and sending millions of tax dollars currently to pay for the ACA, and we're not seeing the maximum amount of fa- federal tax dollars coming back to the state of Utah because we haven't expanded Medicaid.
0: So uh, maybe you could uh, make this personal. I know you have some stories on your website. Uh, maybe tell me about somebody who's you know directly in this gap.
2: Yeah, I've got two for you, actually. So I have, there is a single mother who, has four children in provo utah she is a um, her husband left her and so she's in the medicaid coverage gap because she is going to school now a master of social work program to better her uh, family situation so she can have a good paying job but on the way you know she is driving from provo to the university of utah every day just hoping that she doesn't get in a car accident that would send her family into bankruptcy because she does not have health insurance and the other one um, is a, uh, She's a 24-year-old gal in Kaysville, Utah, and she is, uh, she's been going to charity care clinics, and she has had doctors tell her that they think she has Crohn's disease, but she doesn't know because she only works part-time, because that's all her body will allow her to do, um, but because she only works part-time, she can't get full health insurance to get the diagnosis for her Crohn's disease. So you're seeing a lot of parents and single adults in this Medicaid coverage gap Sixty-six percent of them are working one or more jobs, and the number—the top two reasons for not having a job—is either going to school or taking care of a family member at home.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, so. Some fifty-six thousand, fifty-three thousand, or be, yep. fifty-three thousand be impacted by this. We'll we'll see what happens. We're going to be talking with Senator Shiazawa coming up, and Senator and Senator Escamilla, ask them what's going to be happening on this. Um, let me uh, here at the end uh, turn back to. Uh, Randall Sear, I uh, understand open enrollments coming up.
3: It is. So uh, November 1st is actually the next open enrollment period, and it will go all the way through the end of January, so a three-month period that people will once again be able to sign up for health insurance. But um, if anyone has any sort of big life change in the meantime, uh, now that doesn't mean that you can get sick on Monday and sign up on Tuesday, but a life change means you know having a child, Uh, experiencing divorce, changing jobs, moving, those sorts of things do allow you to sign up outside of the open enrollment period. If anybody has any sort of question and wants free help, uh, we are happy to do that. You can find us on TakeCareUtah.org or you can call 211.
0: And uh, we have not reached Senator Shiozawa yet, uh, so uh, uh, additional couple of questions here. I wonder, Randall Sear, if you could expand on on the uh, people signing up in the rural areas. And and are there specific problems that people face with regard to healthcare?
3: You know, rural areas are interesting because when we go out to rural areas and we talk about this law and how it can affect people and trying to get them to sign up, typically they'll come into the room with crossed arms. Um, you know, the body language is telling us that they're not happy about this. They understand they have to do it, but they are they're not pleased about it. After we kind of have a conversation with them and dispel a lot of the misinformation. You know, they loosen up, and they see that it's not so bad. Um, there are some valid complaints out there about cost and so forth, but generally speaking, everybody that we've helped has ended up pretty happy. I think there's a minority that we help that are that are not pleased, but once again, it's all kind of about perception. We've had people come in that have a serious illness that are ecstatic to have health insurance at $400 a month. We have people that come in that qualify for a premium of $2 a month that decided to not go for it because they didn't feel like they could afford the $2 a month. So um, it's a lot of it is about perception. I think affordability, it's affordable depending on who you ask. So generally speaking, most people that we help are pretty happy with what they end up with.
2: And you've got navigators across the state of Utah, right, Randall?
3: That's correct. So if anywhere across the Utah, we have navigators all the way from St. George up to Logan and everywhere in between. And if you go on that website, TakeCareUtah.org, or if you call 2 on one There's typically somebody within anywhere from a couple minutes to a half hour from you. So we have helpers all across the state that are experienced and know how to work through these sorts of things.
0: One of the uh, kind of a rueful comment uh, from President Obama we heard in the clip here from his press conference yesterday, he acknowledged that there were problems. He remembers those problems. Uh, I'm guessing that uh, at least one of those problems was the uh, premier of Uh, healthcare.gov. How is it working now?
3: Fantastic, actually. I mean... That first year was a little rough, but ever since then it's been working really well. Um, there was maybe a five or ten minute span there last year where the website wasn't working, but other than that it's been it's been not a problem. Um, there's other problems that we're more concerning about, namely finding the uninsured. The call center can be problematic sometimes, but the website itself works well now.
0: Well, the, thank you very much. Uh, we have been talking with uh, Randall Sear, who's uh, director of Take Care, uh, Take Care Utah, is it, with UHPP? Take Care Utah. And Riley Curtis, UHPP's Medicaid policy analyst. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity.
0: We're responding to the Supreme Court's decision yesterday, upholding a key provision of Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. Later in the program, we're going to be talking with Senator Alan Christensen and Senator Luce Escamilla. Let's take a break right now, and when we come back, we'll uh, have with us Senator Brian Shiazawa, Uh, He's the sponsor of uh, one uh, Medicaid uh, expansion uh, bill, uh, Healthy Utah, which did pass the Senate uh, last year. We'll talk with him following the break.
3: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Headspin Events, presenting the 4th Annual Cash Grand Fondo Bike Ride and Outdoor Expo to benefit Logan Regional Hospital, including cycling, food, and entertainment Friday, July 10th, and Saturday, July 11th. Information available at cashgranfondo.com.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are responding to a landmark uh, Supreme Court decision handed down yesterday, 6-3 to ruling in favor of a key provision, subsidy provision of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Uh, programming note, Zorba Pastor on Your Health will be coming your way at 11 o'clock and will respond to today's ruling on same-sex marriage on Monday on Access Utah 9 o'clock. We bring in now Senator Brian Shiazawa. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully the doctor- Senator Shizawa, are you there?
4: Yes, I am. Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, what's your general reaction here to the to the Supreme Court action from yesterday?
4: Well, in general, the Supreme Court did not surprise me personally,
0: nor I think a
4: lot of the people who have been close to the ACA. In that, there was a lot of sentiment that this would be. If, if, even if it were sustained by the Supreme Court, it would be remedied by the federal delegation and Congress anyway. But having said that, it does relieve us here in Utah as we look at the Medicaid expansion of one of the big concerns raised by a number of, of people who opposed the expansion.
0: Uh, a number of the big concerns. So the, some of that is resolved then.
4: Well, it does. For mm-hmm. example, if if you recall during the session, a number of members, of, especially of the House, said, "Well, let's wait on doing any kind of expansion until we hear on the King v. Burwell decision," and by implication, meaning that if it destabilizes Obamacare to the point where it's overturned or doesn't appear to be as effective, then there would be there would be just another reason not to do the expansion. So. In that limited sense, what that does is say, okay, so that objection to the expansion is now over. Uh, personally, after talking to Senator Hatch and a number of our federal delegation, it doesn't appear that Congress right now even has the appetite to overturn the ACA, and, and there won't be any substantial action taken until the new administration in a couple of years. So our task now is to act over the next year, meaning 2015 and 2016, and, and decide what we want to do on an expansion here in this state.
0: Uh, will that include action in the summertime here? That was the original plan floated.
4: Well, I think so. We're meeting frequently with the speaker, uh, representing Dunnigan, the governor, the lieutenant governor, and senate president myself, trying to look at the expansion, what works for Utah, how to adequately fund it, and identify the patient population that will be involved, and then also put in provisions that will keep this a reasonable solution for Utah unique to Utah. So I think with, with this just helps us look a little more favorably to a special session. Mm-hmm.
0: Now remind us that the plan you put forward, uh, healthy Utah, that Senate bill 164 that did pass the Senate. Uh, what, what would that look like?
4: Well, hopefully, from my limited perspective, it would look really similar. But what we would do in this situation is probably say, well, we'll take it out for two years or maybe five years and then cap it at that time and then have a relook and see how we're doing. Look at the enrollments of the patients, look at what our results are in terms of quality, look at crowd out and the various aspects of that and see if it's working for Utah. We know what the experience has been in other states, and so it would be interesting to see what our experience is. So hopefully. The legislation look real similar, would have some safety provisions to protect those who are going to fund this, including the taxpayers.
0: So a uh, sort of a, I guess, uh, would this be a full sunset provision or a a cap in time, you're saying? Do you think that would uh, satisfy the concerns of some legislators who are saying, down the road, we may not be able to afford this?
4: I think it will help. One of the biggest concerns voiced by many of the legislators, including the Speaker, is what's going to be the bill that Utah faces, let's say a 10% at the worst scenario of the enhanced match, and how are we going to pay for that? And one of the things we've been working on is to look at the providers, those people, the very beneficiaries of this bill, besides the patients, of course, uh, like the hospitals and the physicians and maybe pharma, and have them contribute in some way to the funding of this so that it really defrays the cost to the state of Utah, protects the taxpayers. And so we don't end up with a scenario in which we have to, say, take money from education or transportation or some vital service and divert it to this. Hmm. And so if we can do both of those, then we could accomplish not only identifying the patient gap, but also guarantee funding. And that seems to be a very... Workable solution, so we're working on that
0: as well. Just have a couple of minutes left with Senator Brian Shiazawa He's one of that group of six that's working on this, uh, and we're talking about the Supreme Court's decision on Obamacare, upholding a key provision. Uh, aside, uh, the last couple of minutes, uh, want to have you reflect on all of this uh, w- with your, I guess, professional hat. You're, I think, you're a medical doctor, right?
4: Yes, that's right. I work in the ER.
0: Yeah. So um, is Obamacare overall, is, do you think that's a good solution? What uh, What do you think with your doctor hat on?
4: As speaking as a physician, regardless of whether I'm Democrat or Republican, I think the Obamacare, the, the Medicaid expansion is vital here in Utah. We have over 100,000 patients who would be beneficiaries of this who come to the ER. It's our only source of care because they can't get in anywhere else. And we as citizens, and as Taxpayers already pay for their care when they can't, and most of them can't afford it, and these bills are just huge. And ER care is episodic. It's the expensive spot in the hospital as far as care goes, and so it's really not the ideal solution. It's a safety net, but it's a real expensive one. The expansion is vital for Utah, and for us to delay it further is not right.
0: Uh, so just the 30 seconds left, um, Senator Shiozawa, what, what's your best guess on timeline here? Would, are we going to see something happen at the legislature, um, what, in a month, uh, sometime in the summer? What, what do you think?
4: Well, I hope in the summer, and hopefully in August sometime would be my time frame. Now, that's the governor's call, of course. And, mm-hmm. and frankly, I don't think that he's going to call something unless we have some agreement. There's no point in just going through another session like we did before and having an impasse. So we want to come up with something, not only an agreement, but a sensible agreement, something that gets the patient's care and uh, protects the state in terms of taxpayers, I think does put some burden for funding on the providers. I'm a provider. I'm willing to do my part and and take care of the patients.
0: And in the meantime, I, I think the group of six is meeting regularly?
4: Pretty
0: regularly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, Senator Brian Schuuzawa has been our guest in this portion of Access Utah. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, we're going to be talking with Senator Luce Escamilla and Senator Alan Christensen. We'll get their take on uh, on the uh, Supreme Court ruling from yesterday, upholding a key provision of Obamacare. Six to three was the ruling there on Monday. 9 a.m. the regular time slot will be responding to the decision today 5 to 4 ruling which essentially says that same-sex marriage is now the law of the land and we'll have with us uh, Senator Jim DeBacchus we'll have Derek Kitchen with us and uh, BYU Professor Lynn Wardle and we hope to hear from you as well. We'd love to hear what you think on the ruling on Obamacare today uh, on the program. We uh, continue until 11 o'clock. Zorba Pastor on Your Health coming up at 11. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or Access at gmail.com, dot at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter as well. I do have an email from Steve in Beaverdam, Arizona we'll get to as well. understand we have uh, Senator uh, Escamilla. Uh, with us on the line. Welcome to the program.
5: Yeah. Good morning. Thank you for the invitation.
0: So, uh, last time we had you on, it was uh, Senator Robles. <laughs>
5: that's right. So, yeah, so con-
0: congratulations. So <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, um, and you are, um, I believe, the uh, the Senate uh, Minority Whip.
5: Assistant Minority Whip. Assistant Minority
0: right. Whip. Uh, so, uh, what do you think of the ruling?
5: We're excited. I think it's uh, now it's more clear. It really will bring some of the dissonance and, you know, um, problems that we have in Utah specifically with regards to Medicaid expansion. This decision was something that many of my colleagues at the legislature were waiting to start acting on Medicaid expansion. So we're we're excited for the decision. I think it was the right decision. It makes sense when you read, I mean, you know, the Obamacare, obviously, the ACA is a big piece of legislation. and what the, the court made decision on was on the subsidies, So it's one portion of the many pieces of the bill, but I think it's also a very critical decision because they really gave interpretation to what, um, you know, what those exchanges meant and what language means for the exchanges and whether the states were allowed to allow the federal government to provide the services of the exchange, which in the case of Utah, um, it would have been a loss for us if the decision would have been the other way around. So I'm excited for our current people in the state of Utah that are getting subsidies that will continue to get subsidies and for the moving forward of Medicaid expansion that's a a late coming uh, decision here in the state of Utah.
0: And uh, I want to expand, uh, I guess pun intended at this point, expand on Medicaid expansion with Senator Escamilla. But first, I want to get in uh, these comments from Steve in uh, in Beaverdam, Arizona. Um, Steve uh, links us over to Juan Cole's article in an informed comment, or actually, JuanCole.com. This is his uh, blog. And uh, he says that there are six positives in upholding the ACA. I'll go over these quickly. He says the Rand reports that in the summer of 2013 there were 42 million uninsured Americans. By February of 2015, number had fallen to 26 million. Number two point with regard to percentages, the country's uninsured rate was 17% in 2013. That's declined to 12%. People without health care are in a very uncertain situation. They could have a medical emergency at any time. They have nothing to pay the hospital with, and so ACA helps. The international business observed that implications of the law. Uh, for racial equality. Uh, Women have been especially helped by Obamacare. Number six point, many more children now have health care. And uh, then uh, Steve uh, adds a uh, seventh one. Steve said he published in the comments a seventh achievement for Obamacare. Obamacare has brought down medical care costs and put an end to an inexorable rise year after year, both costs and health insurance premiums. So uh, thank you for that, uh, Steve. Senator interesting. I'm, I'm assuming you agree with with all of that. It's been a positive. You oh, think ACA?
5: Absolutely. I mean, for one, just the provisions themselves on ACA on preconditions. I mean, how many people were not allowed to purchase insurance period because of the preconditions unless they were in a group insurance? So yeah, I mean, this ACA and and it has a lot of problems. Don't take me wrong, but overall, it really changed the mentality of access to coverage. And, and now as a society and as a nation, I think we're moving forward in making sure our numbers are not 43 million uninsured Americans, but now we're at, what, at 20? And as we move forward, you're going to see those changes because people now are changing their mentality about health insurance. They're going to be educated on how to access care, like um, Senator Shewisauer was talking about I me, mean, how many Utahns are getting access to care in the emergency room instead of having preventive care and being able to utilize um utilize care in a more educated and efficient manner. Mm-hmm. We're going to change all of that. And it's going to take time, and we're going to have to have changes in the law of course. And that's what we do as legislators. That's what Congress is. You know, they get hired to do. We vote them in so they can make decisions and, you know, improve policies. Uh, but we are moving forward. And I think this decision was a clear, you know, when you now have, have a, you know, a, a part of government, government in this case a judicial branch of government, you know, reassuring that we are moving forward, that this is constitutional, that yes, the federal government can be a partner with states when it comes to providing subsidies. I think it's a clear message, and absolutely all the things um, that were discussed are are making a difference on Americans' lives, and that's what ACA is doing, and we should be celebrating that.
0: Now, with regard to Medicaid expansion, Senator Shiozawa said he thought that some objections from the legislative session have now been resolved with with the certainty from the Supreme Court now. Uh, how likely do you think it is that we uh, will, uh, you know, the governor will call a special session, we'll resolve this uh, in the summertime here?
5: Correct. And, you know, and, and that's tricky. I mean, you have 104 members, and um, you know, it's it, they've been in a they were in a position during January in our session, and now many of them said, hey, let's wait for the court to make a decision. Well, the court already made a decision. Let's move forward. I think there's enough evidence. Uh, the government itself here, the state, uh, the governor and, and his um, a commission and the committee paid a lot of money in having independent studies say whether it was cost-effective to have expansion, and the answer is yes. Uh, we I think the people of Utah have been very outspoken about this and the need is there and we have this loophole and there's a gap for more than a hundred thousand in the case of Senator um, was bill of health in Utah, uh, which is what you know the governor is, is supporting it, it it will be covered those hundred thousand individuals, most of us as Democrats are supporting a whole, a whole Medicaid expansion, not a limited one. And you know, But we will go for whatever we can get at this point, and we that's why we've been very supportive of healthy Utah. But I think the right thing to do is to cover as many Utahns as possible, not only because it's the right thing to do and because it's a morally correct thing to do, it's because it will be more cost-effective for the state at the end and for all the citizens of the state that are paying taxes because we're already paying for the care those individuals are receiving in a very expensive way in the emergency room.
0: Would you be in favor uh, if Healthy Utah failed, but uh, the medically frail bill uh, were on the table? Would Would you accept that compromise?
5: You know what i i, I uh, that's a That's a great question. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I don't feel comfortable with the way it's currently drafted. If there are some changes, we will have to review them. I mean, if we end up at a place, and of course, when you look at the numbers of the legislature, you know, you, you don't have to be a, a math mathematician to know how to count that there's not enough votes. If, you know, in the case of you know party line, if we go by party line in terms of votes. We don't have enough votes to, to pass a full Medicaid expansion, for example, even though I believe that's the right policy decision. We will have to review what's on the table. And I, currently, as it was drafted, I feel very uncomfortable. I think it's more of making people uh, lie to people about so-called coverage, um, and I will not feel comfortable on, on that route. And I voted against that proposal. Because I feel Healthy that was a better approach, even though personally – from a policy perspective, I believe full Medicaid expansion is the way to go. But I know that, you know, we don't have the votes for that. But if that's, if we come to a place where, you know, Healthy Utah fails and we have to review a different proposal, I, I, you know, as a senator, I would sit down and, and review it. i serving in the social services appropriations for the last seven years, so I, I get what, you know, funding-wise, and I understand the budget in that sense, but I believe the best approach is to go full Medicaid expansion.
0: We're talking with uh, Senator Luce Escamilla. Uh, this part of the program, uh, Senator Alan Christensen was to have joined us, but we have not been able to, to reach him. Maybe he had something come up. Uh, we have reached uh, Senator Ed Red or uh, Representative Ed Red from the uh, Logan area. Thanks so much for uh, for coming on. Representative. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so uh, I'm interested to get your take. Not only as a, a, a legislator, but as a uh, medical doctor, what uh, what do you think of this ruling? Well,
6: I think you know. I think it kind of it makes a statement that. You know, that, uh, we're gonna go ahead and, uh, stay with, you know, the Affordable Care Act as far as, as far as, you know, we've we used the state exchange, or the federal-based exchange. And, and that's nice to get that cleared up so we don't have that uncertainty you know, hanging over our heads, you know, delaying decisions and that sort of thing. So, so it's nice, it's good to have that cleared up. I think different people have different opinions about how that should have turned out or what they think about that, but that's, that's kind of, from my perspective as a physician and as a legislator, it's nice to not have that uncertainty hanging over our heads because that certainly would have affected, you know, our state because we have a federal-based exchange rather than a state-based exchange, so that would have, you know, that would have, you know caused us problems, so. Uh,
0: and I wonder, we have a caller, uh, Carl will ask you to be patient. We'll go to you next, but I want to follow up with the Representative Red. Um, what's your view of, uh, of Medicaid expansion? What what should happen, do you think?
6: Well, I- you know I think i mean there's there's two there's several issues here Number one, there's a lot of people who who are financially not in a very good way uh and when people don't have enough money to purchase insurance on their own uh they come down with a serious illness or a life threatening illness uh or an illness that makes them quite ill they they end up having to make a decision right now as to whether they're going to try to get charity care. To whatever means they can get that, or whether they're going to go the disability route, which means they have to declare disability, quit work, and then um, get on Medicaid that way. Because when you've got something like cancer, or you've got something like uh, uh, other issues going on, you know, if you don't have any insurance, you're really in a bad situation. Hang on just a second.
0: Okay. Well, this well, this might be a good I'm time. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
6: It's kind of a problem for people to be able to uh, afford health care, sorry about the noise around here, um, and then deal with you know deal with really complicated, expensive illnesses, uh, which if you don't get treated, you either end up disabled, uh, or if you can't afford the treatment because you don't have the money or you can't pay for insurance premiums or whatever it is, then your the other option is to get on disability, and then you can get Medicaid that way. So I just hate to force people... I hate to put people in situations where their decisions are, you know, declare disability, become unemployed, become unproductive, uh, and so they can get health care. I think that's, for a lot of people, that's what they're left with, is the option of going on disability to get health care, which I think is really a horrible situation. Most people that I take care of that are on disability because of their medical problems would prefer to work. And that's, that's just my experience, talking to them, they would a lot rather work uh, but they're in situations where if they give up or try to get a job or a part time job with their medical illness or their mental illness or whatever they 've got, they end up in a situation where they 're getting eight or ten dollars an hour, maybe part time work no benefits and in that situation uh you know they start to you know be threatened of losing their 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 disability their of that, they lose their insurance, and then they can't get the health care, and then they get sick again. So it's kind of this big cycle of illness, go on disability, get treatment, get better, but then go off and lose your disability, and then get sick again. And I've seen that, unfortunately, a lot of times. And so my thoughts are, I'd rather keep people healthy, as healthy as they can be, and allow them to work, and not force them to declare themselves as disabled, or having a condition that prevents them from working.
0: Let's bring in now uh, Carl in St. George. Glad you called. Thanks for being patient, Carl. What do you think?
6: Thank you. I think
7: what a mess. I've never seen so much hand wringing and indecision on any subject, and it doesn't need to be. I hope the people that are listening will pay particular attention to what I'm going to say. In 2013, Governor Herbert sent $100,000 of taxpayer money to the Boston Nonpartisan Public Consulting Group to learn whether Utah should expand Medicaid. The results of the study that we never hear about came back and said partial expansion would cost the state because the feds would pick up less of the premiums. However, with full expansion, um, Utah, it would cost, full expansion would cost Utah $260 million which is a lot of money, but however, and this is the important thing, however, offsets in tax revenue and savings to state and federal aid programs serving these Medicaid recipients, the savings to the state would be $131 million. Full Medicaid expansion would also spawn more Utah hospitals and community health centers and add approximately 4,160 new jobs and the projected economic to Utah, the benefits to Utah, over 10 years would be $2.9 billion. Now, that's, that's the study. I've got it in my hands. You can get it on the Internet, but everyone listening ought to call the legislators, ought to call the governor and say, why have you swept this study under the rug that we never hear about, that it's cost us $100,000 to pay for, and it tells you exactly what to do, and instead of all of these gastric opinions because they don't like the Affordable Health Care Act or because they don't like President Obama, is just a bunch of garbage, and what an embarrassment to the state of Utah and these poor recipients that are not getting their, uh, their due in health care that they need.
6: Mm-hmm. That's
7: all I have to say, but... I'd like the news media to start beating the drum on this study. Why don't we follow the study? What's happened to it? It tells us exactly what to do, and it's cost us $100,000. Thank you.
0: Okay, thank you, Carl. Thank you um, uh, for for that, uh, That the study. Uh, we just have a couple minutes left, uh, maybe starting with uh, Representative Red. Uh, maybe your final thoughts on this and how, how likely we'll see action at the legislature. Just 30 seconds.
6: Well, I'm not sure exactly if the legislature is going to if they're going to hold a special session or not. They've talked a lot about that. I think with this, you know, Supreme Court ruling really, uh, out of the way, that kind of allows us to go forward without wondering what how that's going to affect us. Um, I think there's still a lot of concern on the part of the state legislature, which is honestly our one of our biggest concerns is balancing the budget. And there's a lot of concern amongst many legislators about you know one or ten percent, you know. Uh, part of this you know affordable tax cost, and I think that's i don't think that's a, a unreasonable thing to be concerned about, especially when we don't when we're already kind of having problems balancing the budget as it is we don't have the option of putting money we don't have the option of going into debt uh those 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 have all sorts of you know going into debt as far as the state's concerned has all sorts of really negative consequences cutting programs already exist causes problems, so I think that I don't think that being cautious in this situation is necessarily unreasonable. I think that yes, um, there's a lot of need that, be, that needs to be taken care of. The, the, the issues that the gentleman just brought up online, the, 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 guy, the guy just called in, I think, you know, they're legitimate, you know, concerns. Uh, I think that the bottom line is, is that this is a long-term commitment. This is not something we're going to do for two years or one year or six months and then back out. And, and whether do we do the partial expansion, uh if has been, you know, you know Utah, Utah Care sponsored by, you know, Denigan, whether we do that or whether we, you know, which is not a robust program. It doesn't have the same amount of uh, benefit for a lot of people, but it's certainly better than doing nothing, uh, especially for those people who have really serious illnesses and a on disability. disability. Um, but whether we do that or whether we do Healthy Utah is uh, still, in my mind, up in the air as far as whether the legislature will pass it. Uh, that's kind of where I'm coming from. My thoughts are, you know, there's a lot of people out there with a lot of, who are working the very best they can. They're not, they're not just sitting in the basement watching television. And they're in situations where they're forced either to quit their job and declare total disability where they can't work, uh, so they can get health insurance or, or they're forced to have poor health or try to get health care through charity care, which really is a challenge, quite honestly. And I've worked with a lot of these people. I've seen their problems. I understand you know what they're going through, and it's really a challenge and so I think the vote switch have a lot in front of it. I hope I hope we call a special session quite often to debate these things and, and to have it out and, and discuss the issues and that's what I kind of hope happens but I'm not sure what's going to
0: happen and uh we just have uh, about a minute left uh Senator we will give you the last word what uh what do you think
5: I think your caller was right on i mean we we have enough data to make a good, sound policy decision in the state of Utah. Full Medicaid expansion is the way to go. As we continue here, the Supreme Court decision continues to upheld um, APA. So, I, you know, I, I don't know at this point what the excuses are going to be, but let's make it right. Let's move forward. And, and I'm certainly looking forward to a special session called by the governor. And uh, hopefully, it, you know, we see a full Medicaid expansion, but it's not helping Utah, I think, is the, the approach that we should be taking as the state at this point.
0: Well, we uh, the comments can continue to come in. Just go to our website, upr.org, or you can email us to upraccess at gmail.com and uh, on Twitter as well. Um, and uh, we uh, thank very much, uh, Representative Ed Redd. Thank you so much for taking time. Thank you. And Senator Luce Escamilla, thank you very much.
4: Thank you very much.
0: We thank Senator Brian Shiozawa, who joined us earlier, and Riley Curtis and Randall Sear from the Utah Health Policy Project. And uh, just a programming note, in place of the first hour of performance today, we uh, hope you'll stay tuned following the news uh, for Zorba. And uh, then one hour of performance today will follow at noon uh, and on Monday. We'll respond to the other landmark decision that was handed out today by the Utah Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, I should say, on same-sex marriage. Essentially, the ruling means that uh, same-sex marriage is now the law of the land for all 50 states. We'll get reaction from uh, Senator uh, Jim DeBacchus, from Derek Kitchen, and from BYU law professor Lynn Wardle, and hopefully from you. That's 9 o'clock on Monday morning. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Access Utah.
2: This is KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, KCEU 89.7 Price, and KUSUFM hd one ninety one point five Logan. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Logan Regional Hospital Nutrition Services, helping people live a healthier life through programs directed to prevent diabetes and heart disease. Information at loganregional.org. And stay with us for this special edition of Zorba Pastor at a new time just for today only because of special coverage of Supreme Court decisions we've been hearing earlier in the day. And Zorba is next. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, heard online at upr.org.